Hey y'all, this is All Your Things Are Gone, and who says you can't make friends in your 30s? I had met Mike Fournier uh, a couple years ago, and uh, we've uh, become friends, and uh, I really respect him. He's a great writer. He has a few books out. I'll include all the links. He's a, he's a teacher, just an overall smart, respected, uh, fun, goofy kind of guy. I really like him, and I was uh, happy to talk to him. Thanks for listening. I hope everyone is safe and sound. This is Larger Things Are Gone. Do you want a fire? Let's start a fire. This feels great to get heat overhead. <clears throat> it's nice. How's it going? Good. Yo, we rolling? Roll, yo. I'm eating chips. It's <clears throat> always the best thing on mic. Crunching. That's why, I, that's why I bring pretzels usually to every interview. Just for a little texture for yeah, the for yeah. listeners? Just for you know, just something to you know, take your mind off the terrible interview. <laughs> <coughs> oh, your interviews have been good. Um... Although there was a, I'm not going to mention the person by name, but there was one that I listened to where, like, you were, it was tough for you to elicit reactions. I know the one you're talking about. Um, it was still entertaining, but it was like, man, he's in it. I was digging for anything, like, just some sort of something, <laughs> and I just wasn't getting anything. Nope. Um, and some people are like that. Obviously, you know that. I know that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I'm not, like, that experienced at doing this, you know. I did a little bit of it in college. I was a journalism major, but I was writing shit down. I wasn't fucking, like, recording it usually. I mean, even though they said, you know, you should record it. Mm-hmm. But um, so I, don't, I don't know if I have all the skills. Like, like do, what do you do when you find yourself in that situation? Have you found yourself in that situation? Uh, not as extremely as you mm-hmm. I think like with your interviews you're a good active listener and you're just like genuinely curious about your subjects mm-hmm. so that helps it's uh, it's it's difficult if you're assigned something that you don't really care about yeah or don't care about as much do you get that a lot no I don't do a ton of interviews no um, I'm starting to do more, I'm gonna start doing more interviews in the next couple of weeks. I've been saying that for like six months. <laughs> but then we bought a house and like everything got pushed back. Well, what, who are you going to interview? I'm going to interview writers. Yeah. Like writers who are in the punk scene. Because when I interview somebody, like I just want to know if they saw Black Flag or the Midnight or whatever. <laughs> like it always goes there. That's and pretty much what mine's about, but it's not... None of the none of the bands are ne- nearly as like influential. <laughs> like, oh man, you saw uh, Chucklehead <laughs> that one time. <laughs> Weird. Oh man, that's funny. <laughs> oh, you saw Urban Dance Squad, right? Just like some like. That, that, uh, oh man, that was that one time that one guy from Dagobah played with this other guy from this band. I'm like, nobody cares. Trying to keep caught, right? The Freeze and Dagobah. Yeah, Freeze. Yep. Damn it! I was trying to think of that fucking band the other. I was in it. I was in an interview with Ed, uh-huh. and um, we were talking about the Wag, and I was. And the, one of the only bands I ever saw at the Wag was the Freeze. 
Oh, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I guess, like, you can't swing a bat on Cape Cod without hitting somebody who is in the freeze, I guess. <laughs> really? But but Cliff Croce, I guess, lives in Arizona now. Huh. Yeah. We just found out that um, Black Flag played Cape Cod, and there's, like, a retirement community there. I know where it is. Mm-hmm. Like, I went and found the spot, and it's, like, the Mill Hill Club is now just, like, a retirement complex. What town is it in? It's in, uh, I think it's in West Yarmouth. It's it's right on the high Hyannis border. Mm. And, like, some of Beck's uh, co-workers are like, oh, I used to, like, one of these guys that Beck works with who's awesome is like, oh, I saw, like, Lou Miami. <laughs> I think that's the guy's name. <laughs> really? Yeah. So I checked him out online. He's, like, a weird, like, sort of punky new wave guy. It sounds like it. Yeah. So. <laughs> Um, so I think that there's this like Cape Cod punk rock history. I have to keep digging. Yeah, it would be interesting to uh, dive into that a little bit because all the people I talked to were on the fringe of that scene. Right. Like they weren't really punk; they were mostly like whatever the fuck you want to call it, hmm. math rock, whatever. The f- but they, you know, in the a couple of interviews that I've done, they they played, but because the scene was so small down there, and there was like so few places and so few bands that. Yeah. Every, you know, there was, like, punk bands playing with metal bands, mm-hmm. playing with whatever, indie rock, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Yeah. So, but... And I know that, like, Vanessa Vanessa Dowling, is that her name? Who is mm-hmm. in the Good Furies? Uh, runs a community center in Wellfleet now. Like she, and she was in Samuel, and I just, like... Wow. Love Samuel. Yeah. They have, like, seven songs that I've heard recorded, <laughs> and I just, like, love them. I remember having a seven-inch friend. Yeah, oh, so good. Did you, uh, did you see Milltown's getting back together? I did see that. Yeah, Milltown is, uh, and of course, tickets were gone immediately yeah. for that show. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw Milltown like seven or eight times, probably, because I always used to go to Worcester to the, mm-hmm. to the space, and uh, they were sort of in that cohort, like that first wave of Hydrahead bands with uh, with Six Going on Seven mm-hmm. and with Piebald. So yep. those like those three bands used to play with uh, with Garrison a lot, mm-hmm. and they used to, yeah, they used to play all these shows. So I, I, I loved Milltown, and their unreleased stuff I used to have on a cassette tape. Like I think Joe from Garrison worked at Big Burrito, so he had access to all <laughs> of these like unreleased tapes and stuff. And their uh, their unreleased LP, there's fragments of it on YouTube. Um, really, I think so. It, it's YouTube or just the internet in general. Mm-hmm. Like that record, like the unreleased Milltown record was like great. Hmm. So it would be really cool to see them, but I, I, you know, didn't hit refresh fast enough. <laughs> and they added a second show, uh, and it didn't work out for me to get tickets for that. No, I saw that they added a second show. I, I thought about going. It's with Caven, right? It is with Caven. Yeah, I'd like to see Caven again. It's been a long time, obviously. I haven't seen Caven. Years. Yeah. yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen them since they did like the major label records. I saw them like, uh, like probably right before that happened, like the, the until your heart stops era, like the real yep. fucking metalcore. Oh, shit. so good. Oh, that, that record's great. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Adam, and Adam Adam's interview comes out next week. Oh, cool. Yeah, and he it was that was really great. Um. Yes. So I think we should, should we. I think we should ask. I gotta ask some stupid questions that I already yeah. know the answers to because no, someone else doesn't. So, uh, I could, I, how did you get into Razor Cake? 
Uh, I got Razor Kick is America's only nonprofit punk rock magazine, mm-hmm. um, and it's now like it's more resonant now because Maximum Rock and Roll folded mm-hmm. after 430 issues, Damn. whatever it was. I know it's so sad. And Punk Planet's gone. Punk Planet's been gone for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dan, Dan Sinker from Punk Planet uh, was like the fake Rahm Emanuel on Twitter for a little while. Really? Yeah, and he was really good at that. (laughs) And he recently sold these votive candles, uh, these Robert Mueller uh, votive candles. (laughs) There's there's a yellow votive candle that says P tape on it. (laughs) So uh, so Dan Sinker's still kicking around. Hmm. Um, But I uh, I'm friends with this guy Mike Falloon, who was involved or is involved in Razor Cake and has been for years. And he read my. Minutemen book and he read my my novel my first novel when it came out and he cold called me as me and Beck were setting up my first novel tour and he was like hey like I'm doing you know like let's do some gigs so I made friends with this guy he's like like Loon is the best <laughs> and then we did a tour uh, the next summer me and Mike and Steve Reynolds who used to be the editor of Zisk with Mike Falloon it's a zine about baseball and uh Duncan, Duncan Wilder Johnson. Uh, we did five gigs up to Maine and back. And when we were in Portland, Mike introduced me to Megan Pants, who was a longtime Razor Cake contributor. And I was mm-hmm. like, I would love to be involved in that magazine. And then there, there were some openings for reviewers. And she recommended me to Todd Taylor, who's the guy. Like, Todd was the, one of the people who did Flipside for a long time. Yeah. And when Flipside folded, um, Todd started Razor Cake. So it's like, it's an offshoot of Flipside. Um, so that's how, there you go. And what have you been doing with them? Uh, I mostly just do reviews at this mm-hmm. point. Uh, I did one interview with my friend's band from Vegas, Coast West Unrest. But this is like the <coughs> the punk community that I always wanted, you know. Uh, like I was, you know, I was in with a tight bunch of people in Boston for a long time and that was great. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, but everybody sort of went their separate ways when bands broke up. And stuff. Yeah. With Razor Cake, it's like I've met, you know, like half of the regular contributors. I went to this like ridiculous party in LA, the 15th anniversary party. Oh, really? And I'm not a, like. When was this? This was uh, three years ago, I mm-hmm. guess. And it was tremendous. You know, I, I met all these people. And I don't like, this doesn't happen to me very often, but like, I blacked out whoa I drank from like starting at like seven at night and I drank until five that definitely doesn't sound like you yeah and I like blacked out crazy (laughs) it's a lot of booze it is I think I've only blacked out once myself no this was like the first time I ever blacked out like I I, hey mom and dad how are you (laughs) Uh, I came to and I like I had like two slices of pizza on paper plates on my lap so when I blacked out, like walking from the bar, I stopped and got pizza and went up to my buddy's apartment. And mm-hmm. I came to and I was like, cool, pizza. <laughs> when I blacked out at the race cake party, like I was trying to get to the bathroom and I was like, like totally making a racket, like mm-hmm. stumbling, like using the walls for guidance. And those guys like totally made fun of me the next day. So, <laughs> and it was well-deserved. Yeah, so. sounds like it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and you also do the podcast as well? 
Yeah, I, that's right. I do a I do a Razor Cake podcast every six weeks or so, mm-hmm. and um, that's great. It's cool that I get to do that because it keeps me uh, curious and interested. Because you know I could just like card out all my friends' bands, but then like three <laughs> weeks later, it's like that's oh. what I'm doing. <laughs> well, you know, but you but people are are getting interested in your thing, so you're getting uh, you're getting different opportunities as you go. I hope so. Yeah, so that's cool. <laughs> um, so I'm just like I'm trying to find like you know 15 new bands every six weeks or 15 bands with new music every six weeks. So I uh, how's it been? Has it been tough? It's not that bad. No, like no. you know, if you look at if you keep a notebook by Facebook and anytime any of your friends is like, oh, I'm doing this thing, you know, mm-hmm. I imagine that you could you could do the same. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So between writing for the magazine and being friends with a bunch of musicians, you know, and even being like you know, tertiary friends with a bunch of musicians, like, you know, third level friends that I met one time mm-hmm. in Philly 10 years ago or whatever, um, enough stuff sort of comes down the pipe so that I, I feel like I'm engaged. Have you heard anything like recently that's really, you've really been excited about? Yeah, actually this, this week <laughs> has been this week where, um, me and Beck have been listening to this band. Uh, I guess the record's from 2014, but this band Delay from Columbus. Delay? Delay, yeah. Mm. Uh, two twins are in it and then a drummer. And one of these guys uh, booked a reading for me in Columbus at Used Kids like four or five years ago. And I found the record in a used bin in Portsmouth last weekend. Mm-hmm. So I bought it, brought it home, and both of us are like, oh my God, this is so good. <laughs> So, so Beck especially has been chasing down all of these sort of tendrils and bands that sound like. So we listened to uh, Radiator Hospital a lot this week, and Delay is just fantastic. That record, mm. Circle Change, is like it's pop punk, but it's it's sort of veering towards emo. Yeah, you know, like emo, like mm-hmm. 1997, Sunny Day Real Estate type stuff. The best, the best emo. The best emo, yeah. That's yeah. The end of emo. <laughs> Pretty much. Then it, then it was Taking Back Sunday. Took over, I think, somewhere in there. Yeah, I dropped out of Butt that. Rock. Became, it became Butt Rock. Um, I mean, so how did you get into, you know, writing? Or did you always want to do some sort of, like, journalism? Because this seems more like a like leaning toward that rather than yeah, just, yeah, just so. your, you know... Well, I was, an, I was, I am an only child, right? Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of time to myself. <laughs> so I'd always like make these like, these like bullshit newspapers and stuff like that. Like, really? Like, yeah. Like me and my, my friends in gram, this one buddy of mine in grammar school and I like had some like fake newspaper that we would draw up and pass around and we'd make fun of people or whatever. <laughs> and somehow we didn't get Do you still have any of those somewhere? I don't. You don't? No, oh, I don't. Shit. Yeah, one of my buddies uh, who lives in Hawaii now texted me last night, and he was like, "Do you have old copies of like of your of Adhesive X, which was my first fancy?" And I was like, "I don't," you know. So that's crazy to me. You don't keep like I used to. I used to keep a box of crap like that. You know. I do that now. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but I was like, oh, I can just like these will always be around. You know, I wasn't very careful with it. <laughs> So, like, doing bullshit newspapers for a long time, and then uh, I was in, like, the school newspaper when I was uh, in high school. Mm -hmm. I did a review of, like, the second show that I went to. I saw Public Image Limited in 1989 (laughs) at the Orpheum, and it was, like, the craziest thing I'd ever seen. So I wrote a review of that. Yeah. And then then I started writing fiction when I was a senior in high school. Mm -hmm. I wrote this, like, 
I guess like a novella or, or a short novel. Mm-hmm. And I was just ripping off like Douglas Copeland, who I was really into and I still love. And I was ripping off like Stephen King. You know, that's yeah. how you get better by is by ripping stuff sure, off. Sure, sure. So going into college, I was like, oh, it'd be cool to write fiction. And, uh, but there was like, there was no career path that could, you know, where you can make money writing fiction. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I'll be a journalist instead. And I hated it. Oh, yeah. What did you hate about it? How rigid it was. How, you know, how structured it was. Mm. Um, I wanted to be uh, sort of more free form, I guess. Yeah. So when I moved to Boston after college, well, I guess in college I, I started uh, and he's a Vex, which was my fancy with, with this guy, Mike Glumack. Uh, Mike Glumack. You know Holy shit. Yeah, Newbury Comics guy. Newbury Comics guy. Yeah, so. In- inventory guy. I was on his inventory yeah. team. Yeah, him for, and Mike were inventory guys. Yep. Yeah. For years. So, <coughs> so we did this fanzine, and then uh, when I moved to Boston, I started doing like stuff for the noise. I was writing for Jersey Beat. By oh, cool. Yeah. So just doing reviews and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And I think for a long time, I was like, oh, I'm a writer. You know, and I like said that I was, but I wasn't really putting any time into it. <laughs> you, know, you were just naturally good at it. You didn't have to do <laughs> Well, I, I, I could naturally, like, string a sentence together. Yeah. You know, I could naturally, like... Well, string a sentence together is one thing, but making it interesting and people, like, people actually want to read it is another. You know? It's like looking back at it, um, I can see, like, that there is, like, some some inclination there, but... When I teach now, there are these kids that do the same thing, and it's like, those are the kids that I'm always the hardest on. Where it's like, okay, you're really engaging, but like you're just like blabbering. <laughs> you know, you got to cut it down. You got to boil mm-hmm. it down by half. How but do you do that? It it just takes time. Yeah, you know? like uh, like reading stuff out loud helps. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Interesting. Like, yeah, doing stuff at a reading, like having to read it in front of a bunch of people, like and being like, huh, like I could have said the same thing in five minutes. That I just said in 15 minutes. You know, so if you can be more direct to the point like that, I think that helps. Do you find that that's a style of writing? Do you think that, I mean, it seems like, I mean, obviously everybody has their own style, but, um, and you said you were like, you were copying styles at one time, and mm-hmm. obviously you moved on from that. But, um, like, do you think there's a style there that a, lot of, that a lot of writers have where they just bumble on for pages and pages? Like, I remember, um, like one of the first books that I ever read was uh, the Deer Slayer. Mm. Oh man, Cooper! Yeah, and he just fucking ah, <laughs> uh, just like descriptive, just to the point of like a blade of grass. Like he'd be describing a blade of grass kind of shit. So, I mean, <laughs> um, are there people like that 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 are successful? You think? Yeah, like Reverend Norb is like that. Okay, he was. Uh, He's, he was in uh, Maximum for a long time, and he's a Razor K columnist now. And his, uh, when you talk to Reverend Norb, when you interact with him, mm-hmm. he's always the same. And he's always talking like this. He's like, hey, Jay, how are you? I'm kind of talking like this. This is my normal cadence, and I just talk like this all the time. And I, I make all these connections really quickly, and I can remember every release date and every baseball card that I've ever seen in every comic book. <laughs> and it's amazing to hang out with this guy, yeah. you know? And he was the singer of Boris the Sprinkler, too. And oh, he's okay. in, uh, he was in Reverend Norb and the Onions recently. His columns are just like so dense that there's parentheses inside of parentheses inside of parentheses. Oof. Yeah, and it's 
always hilarious. Yeah. Uh, the two books that he put out are just stunning. Like he's so good. So you can you can be long winded, and uh, and it's like a stylistic thing. Uh, but I think with a lot of the students who I'm like, uh, it's just like they're not like it's all stream of consciousness, and they're like, well, people say that I'm good, so it's fine, who and that's say, how who I says was. you're good. Yeah. <coughs> when did you arrive? At that, at your current style, and, and do you think it still changes? Yeah, it changes all the time. Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, I think, like, I, I was sort of veering towards the current style uh, when I went to grad school, mm-hmm. which was in 2010. And grad school was like the last thing, you know. Grad school was like the last, uh, like the the push that sort of got me over the hump. I guess though by by grad school, I, I had already written the book about the Minutemen for the 33 and the 3rd series. And that book's cool, and I love that book. Which but, is amazing. Thank you. Uh, but but there's like there's a lot of interjections in there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of asides in there, and I just don't I think those, those books are like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the, that, those books are cool, and people really enjoy them, because they are, like, um, you know, like, I don't know how to say it, just like short little stories within this greater story of this record that you love or you know that you hide and hold you know that's i think that's how a great record is built and, and it just happens that you put in a book form and it works really well like right that. especially with those guys right because those guys yeah. were like speaking their own language um musically and verbally mm-hmm. but that book was really um you know full of asides and interjections and stuff like that going to grad school and reading a bunch of like books as texts rather than reading books as you know entertainment was mm-hmm. really important for me because I saw the way that different styles have different sort of methods of delivery and uh, my style has definitely evolved since then uh, the first novel is like so grad school I'm like I'm gonna do everything you know I'm gonna <laughs> like I'm gonna like be long-winded I'm gonna be really terse like you know in the same yeah uh, same book that first first novel that I put out was my grad school thesis, and there's a character in that book who drinks a lot of coffee all the time and mm-hmm. speaks really fast. So I was doing readings on my first tour, and there was no punctuation, and I was like, "How am I gonna do this?" You know, weird. So I had to put slashes in the book so I'd know where to put breaths. <laughs> and uh, then in my next book, like the one of the narrators had these like three word sentences because mm-hmm. I was like oh, I'm going to read these out loud so I'm going to make them like really rhythmic and staccato so I did that so is this where you started doing that like you, like you were saying earlier what you, reading reading it aloud and kind of gets you to um, I don't know it, it seems like you said maybe identify with your work a little bit or just yeah I think so I like thinking of it like initially thinking of like having a book was, mm-hmm. was like crazy you yeah know, like oh this is the thing that I always wanted to do or this is the thing that I always you know when I hadn't done it yet I was like this is the thing that I want to do and then when I did it you know it's like it's like the end of that movie Rudy right <laughs> where like yay like everyone hoists like certainly this didn't happen to me but like metaphorically like Rudy's up on the shoulders and then the movie ends and it's just three of you holding up you yeah I'm like go <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, the best you and then it's like, well, what happens to Rudy? And it's like, no, 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 the book's over. You know? There is no more Rudy. It doesn't <laughs> exist. Never existed. It's over, dude. So once I put a book out, I was like, huh, now I guess I have to do this again. Mm-hmm. And then I started doing readings um, 
at bookstores and stuff, and then the sort of performative aspect of it became more important. Mm. So being able to to read stuff and deliver it, I think, changed my style. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems, and obviously you didn't write a book to necessarily perform it, right. you know. How, is, how does that affect you when you're reading this back and, and thinking about it? Like, does it... Do you become very critical of yourself? <laughs> we were talking about, uh, before you turned the microphone on, you, we were talking about how, like, at your own house, you kind of walk around and you're like, oh, oh yeah. I fucked up the molding over there or whatever, <laughs> and no one else can see it, but yeah, then you yeah. draw attention to it. And I think it's the same thing with readings. Like, whenever mm-hmm. I read something for the first time, there's inevitably, like, a typo, or I repeat the same word twice in three words. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, God, you know? It always happens. Yeah, that, that always annoys me when I do that too. I'm like, I gotta vary my sentence structure and my like, you know, word choice more because it just sounds terrible and <laughs> just repeat the same shit. Right. So that always happens in public, I guess. That it, like when I read something for the first time, that always happens. I'm like, oh. Do you do you read it like to back maybe beforehand or do you? Uh, occasionally I do. Yeah. Um, like if I have some new piece that I've never done before, mm-hmm. but I usually have like. If I go out on tour, I have like four or five pieces so that, so I don't get bored and so I can make changes and so I can just mix it up every night. How do you pick? What do you do? What you do? Just depends on the mood of the room, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I had a novel chapter this summer uh, that I was, that I was reading and like, there was like, when there were rooms full of people, I was like, oh, I'm going to do a bunch of short things in a room full of people and then where there's nobody there it's like well nobody's here so I'm going to read 3,000 words or whatever it is so it's just a mood thing you know, yeah. it's a set list thing I guess that's interesting it's a good it's a interesting way to kind of I don't know metaphor I guess or you know way of comparing the two um, you, and you said that I remember talking to you it was maybe I think I texted you weeks ago about mm-hmm. or maybe it was maybe longer ago than that that how has your, like, I mean, obviously you're, we talked about your style, but, like, how has the process of you writing changed? I mean, where did it start? How did you How did you initially just, like, you sat down and, like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. Did you have the idea already? Did it just come out? Uh, there's been, like, two novels that have been published, and then there's two that, that are in the drawer. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, with... I think with, you know, I can finally see that, you know, it took years, but I can finally see that with the novels that are in the drawer, it's um, it's me trying to connect the dots. It's me thinking that I know what the dots are and trying mm-hmm. to connect them, right? Whereas, yeah. like, if you think of, I can't remember whose metaphor this is. It's not mine. I read it online someplace. But if you think about, like, driving from, like, your house to my house in the dark, Right, you can only see like this far ahead of you. Yeah, headlights far ahead of you the mm-hmm. entire drive, and that's kind of the the point where I'm at. Where I don't need like I can't do outlines. Like I cannot do that. I have like I have ideas. You know, I have like things that I think might happen, but I think with the unsuccessful novels that I've written, I've tried to force them, and it's just been really clunky. Mm-hmm. You know, and really poorly done. So like in this in this one that I'm working on now, um, the end of Act Two is like this uh, this show at a VFW hall, 
Right. And there's been uh, there's been a bully in the book who has gone from being a jock to a skinhead. Jeez. Right. So all of a sudden he starts wearing like Fred Perry and suspenders <laughs> and boots and everything. Yeah. And uh, so I've been thinking for months that it would be cool if I could get my character into the pit with that guy at the show mm-hmm. and it worked you know but I, but I haven't been sure if that was going to happen because like something else might have come up um, you know it's like it sounds corny to say that characters have lives of their own I, I don't want to say that <laughs> but I don't too like, late yeah, yeah but I, said it, I, said I don't want to plot too much ahead yeah because yeah, because again like forcing stuff doesn't work and I'm glad that I realized that now I mean is it when you went to school for this stuff and you mm-hmm. took creative writing or whatever, yep. do you use a lot of the skills or do you think a lot of it was just just to go through the motions just so you, you have an idea of what the quote-unquote right way to do things is and you just kind of, again, create your own style within... Because you, you have, like, I mean, you know, I guess you're creating a style within a style, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I think it made me, like, read more widely. It made me not narrate everything in the first person like mm-hmm. Doug Copeland does or like S.E. Yeah, how do you do that? That's crazy. That's yeah. tough. I mean, that's a, I is. think that's real talent. Yeah. Seriously. Thanks. Um, yeah, just sort of pulling it back mm-hmm. has, has been good. Uh, <clears throat> learning how to take criticism was really important too. Mm-hmm. Um, Who were you getting criticism from? Like, I mean, oh, Just people in workshops. Yeah. You know, uh, and learning how to not take things personally because like, the amount of the amount of rejection is, is awful. <laughs> it sucks to like do something, think that it, it's really good, and then mm-hmm. get like rejected fifty times. Woof. Yeah. yeah. Or whatever you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. So, um, so that grad school was good for that too. So just seeing different approaches and uh, and learning how to um, take criticism and to be critical of other people's work without it being pointed. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, those were really important for grad school. But, you know, just whatever sticks to you, whatever fiction sticks to you, um, it's like, well, this, this is the stuff that you like. Sort of figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, figure it out for yourself. Hmm. That's an open road. So, like, I mean, it's going to be very, you can get lost real easy, I'm sure. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and with, like, writing novels yeah like um, you know just like think back to like <laughs> uh, like think of how much news has happened in the last 18 months or whatever you know yeah. how many like things have happened on Facebook how many people that you're friends with have put out records or mm-hmm. you know done this or done that or had kids or whatever it is that they put up you know like yeah. meanwhile I'm like working in my office for you know three hours a day or whatever it is and uh I'm just like, I still feel like I'm working, but then there's the, the part where I like I need to get up to, you know, so razor cake is good for that, and uh, doing criticism is good for that, like mm-hmm. sort of being involved in the community by trying to be a, like an ambassador for for people whose stuff I like and whose stuff I think is good. Yeah. So that helps too, you know, like. Um, I hope that answers the question. <laughs> uh yeah. I mean. There's no real answer to any of these questions, really. Um, so, after grad school, did you um, did you know you were gonna like 
teach? I did. Yeah, I was teaching before grad school. Yeah. Uh, I was teaching at Tufts and Emerson, right? And that was a really bad undergrad. How so? Uh, I just, like, I didn't, uh, I didn't appreciate it as much as I should have. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, um, hmm. I, I wasn't that into it. You know, I wasn't that invested in it. So I moved to Boston after I thought that I graduated, when I, in fact, had not graduated. <laughs> what happened? Uh, I just counted. I couldn't count credits. You know, I, I counted credits wrong because I'm a, a bozo. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> One of those three-credit school systems? It wasn't even that. No? It was just like, I, I was like, oh, I'm fine. And I just wasn't fine. So I, like, I didn't drop out, per se, but I was, like, really down on myself because I couldn't finish school. So I went back and finished. And uh, I always had this idea in my head that I wanted to teach this punk rock class. Because I was reading, and I'm still reading, like, every book that comes out. So I sort of, like, stitched a narrative together. And I thought it would be fun to try and teach. And when podcasting started, um, that was the way to disseminate music to students. Because mm-hmm. prior to that, if I'm, if I'm like, requiring or assigning listening, I guess I could, like, put a bunch of CDs in the library. But that's so cumbersome, right? Or, like burn 25 CDs a week. For all your students. Yeah, like that's cumbersome too. Yeah, that would be cumbersome. But putting it in one central place. Yeah. You know, like, um, it turns out that, like, Fugazi had the idea of doing the live series in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, how do we do this? Like, we're going to be stuck in front of tape decks for the rest of our lives. And it's like, oh, the internet. <laughs> you know, so for me, it was like, oh, the internet, this is cool. So I, uh, I pitched this class to Tufts. They said okay. And then I started uh, teaching this punk class there. And I got hired to teach a similar class at Emerson. And that was right when the Minutemen book was happening. So for the class, since I had this like shingle that was hung up, people started coming in. Um, like uh, Clint Conley came in twice. And he's like the sweetest dude. Like yeah. Clint is great. Um, Adam and Steve from Cave In came in. And they yeah. talked about being on a major label. And they're just like, yeah, it was great. We went to Dave Grohl's wedding. I was like, <laughs> cool. All right. <laughs> Good for you guys. Uh, I spent a day with Ian McKay. Uh, Damn. Which was super cool. That is yeah. crazy. So based on that and the book, uh, Rebecca went to grad school. And I had this up in Maine, in Orono. And I had this uh, interview that I didn't realize was an interview. Like, I thought me and this dude were talking about records. Mm-hmm. And uh, then Beck's like, oh, you should apply. And I applied, and I got in. And then with the masters, I could teach. Right? So yeah. I think, and I was waiting tables for 10 years prior to that. So, and I was totally burned out on that. Yeah, oh, shit. Yeah. So the teaching thing, once I finished school, it was like, all right, like now I can do this instead of waiting tables. <laughs> you know? And I have enough time during the day so I can keep the the writing going to whether it's for the book or reviews or whatever else I'm doing short stories essays so how did the book come up? how did do you did you just um, like send in a, uh, a proposal for that minute book or did someone come to you I did yeah <clears throat> it was uh, I was working in Davis and I was living in Alston mm-hmm. so like, with the 66 bus terrible bus yeah so like if you hit it just right, it's efficient. But I had an iPod at that point in mm-hmm. 2006, so I was like, I might as well just like 
walk over the footbridge through Lower Alston to Harvard, and it's like it's a mile and a half. It's not that bad. Yeah, yeah I've done that. So, <clears throat> so I was doing that every day, and if I had enough extra time, I would go to to Newbury, and I saw the books in there, and I was like, I wonder who wrote the Minutemen book, and nobody had. So I was like, Huh, all right. Because <laughs> by that point, I was like, as I I'd written a, a novel that wasn't very good and I wanted to keep going and I gave myself a project of reviewing all my CDs in alphabetical order. <laughs> so I did that in 2005. Wow, how long, how long did that take you? I did three CDs a day, five days a week and it took me till September. What possessed you to do that? I just needed just to needed, get better. Just you know? writing? Yeah, just like the... It's what, in- interesting the, fucking exercise. You know, the Malcolm Gladwell thing. Okay. You know, the hmm. 10,000 hours thing. Uh, so I was just like sort of chopping away. And by doing that, I saw where I was doing interjections, where I was doing footnotes because I'd read David Foster Wallace. <laughs> Whatever annoying shit it was, I, yeah. was, I was starting to get rid of some of that stuff. Um, so there, no one had written the Minutemen book. So I, I searched around. I found out who the series editor was. And I was like, how do I pitch a book to the series? And he said, oh, do this. Here's the deadline. And I did. And uh, it worked. <laughs> so it was cool. Yeah. It was great. Well, so what was the experience like? Did uh, you talk to a lot of those guys? And Yep. By that point, the class was happening. Yeah. Uh, so so Clint is in that book because mm-hmm. he saw the men in a bunch. I got to chase down people who I liked and, and bug them and be like, hey, you know, can we talk about the minute now? Was everyone very open? And pretty much. You yeah. know, there's a couple flakes here and there, but like pretty much everybody was. Like Lance Hahn from J Church, you know, who's who's dead. He died in 2007. Who? Was super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Mac from Super Chunk is in that book a little bit. Uh, everybody was really nice. If I had questions, I could email Watt and he would tell me what the answers were. Hmm. So the experience was really good. And... Uh, Working with, it was Continuum at the time, now it's Bloomsbury, uh, was cool too. You know, the the amount of editing was minimal, which I guess was good and bad because I made some mistakes. <laughs> yeah, you told me that. Yeah. Like I said that, like, uh, I said Jack Brewer was the guitarist of Sacred Trust, <laughs> and it's Joe Baja, you know, because yeah. I didn't know how to use the internet. <laughs> I think a lot of those books... The, the people at Continuum Bloomsbury are great, but, but they all work so hard. Do they? Yeah, like everybody is doing like the job of three people. So they're all um, they're all just like doing the best they can. And they mm-hmm. do great work. But there's mistakes, you know? Sure. Stuff slips through. Like in um, in Joe Gross's book about Fugazi, like Ian MacKay's name is consistently misspelled, you know? <laughs> I think there's been confusion as to how to pronounce his name for years. Yeah. You know, everyone, everyone, you say Mackay, someone says McKay or, yeah. or whatever. Um, <clears throat> interesting. Yeah. So that Minutemen book came out and, you know, I'd been hanging out with my friends. You know, my friends in Garrison got to play like Norway. You know, those guys did these huge tours and mm-hmm. they would do all of Europe. And I was like, I didn't play any instruments, and I was always like, I don't want to go on tour. <laughs> so right when the book came out, I was like, I'm booking tours. You know, so I booked uh, down to Baltimore. I booked West Coast stuff. And because people knew the Minutemen, 
there is a built-in audience. Yeah. But I didn't realize it was a built-in audience because I'd never done a book tour before. Mm -hmm. So when I did my first novel tour and like one or two people showed up, <laughs> I was like, you totally got like rug rash, you know, I was like, <laughs> oh man, like no one cares, you know, mm -hmm. and that's the way it is. Yeah, I'm sure. It's no. totally the way it is and I just didn't know. Yeah. So that no, was a learning No one cares about your band, dude. Nope, no one does. <laughs> um, awesome. Is that... Was that the first time you worked with a publisher? Mm -hmm. how, how was it? I mean, obviously you already said, but like, did it educate you on how to work with a publisher, or did you? I learned about <clears throat> industry math. Yeah, you know, which I knew about because of uh, Steve Albini. Mm -hmm. You know that essay that he wrote in the Baffler, the problem with music. I don't know that breaks. One. Oh, really? It's uh, yeah. it breaks down like the cost of being in a band and how much. Uh, how much money you make and stuff. I think it was recently, like it was Peter Frampton. Yeah. Did you hear He made that? a big stink about uh, Spotify. Yeah. You know, his, his song got played like one million times and he got like, uh, it was more than that. It was like five million or something, something stupid. Yeah. Um, just like that song. And he got like, I don't know, not a lot, like 10,000 10, bucks or something like that <laughs> for a song that's been played five billion times or yeah. whatever, you know, yeah, one of the more popular songs in the world, obviously. Yeah. yeah. So I got this advance. I got, uh, got $1,500 up front, and I got $1,500 when I finished it. Mm -hmm. and I was like, that was the most money I'd ever gotten paid for writing. Yeah. I think it probably still is. <laughs> and... That was awesome, you know? Mm -hmm. So I took that money and I toured. I'm like, I'm investing in, in myself. Mm -hmm. And royalty statements started coming in. And the series is really heavily front-loaded. So I sold like 4,000 books the first six months. Oh, shit. Which is this huge number. That's crazy. Yeah. So I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to get this advance paid off in the next, you know, the next billing phase or whatever. And then the returns started. Oof. So, so I started owing them more money. And it, it's against the $3,000, right? Yeah. So there's like 15% of wholesale. But then there's like deep discount, which is like 15% of 90% of wholesale. So the industry math starts adding up. Yeah. So I finally paid off my $3,000 advance, like more than 5,500 books later, which was like three years ago. You know, Shit. and it's like that's a tiny amount of money. Like three thousand dollars is like it's great, obviously. But sure. Like when um, when writers sign these book deals, or when bands, like increasingly less, I guess, yes. sign these big advances. It's like like Mudhoney did it right. You know, they got this huge advance. They recorded with one of their friends, and they all bought houses <laughs> with their advance. Yeah, that's what you have to do for sure. Yeah. So uh, I learned about industry math through mm -hmm. the publishing uh, industry, you know. Um, it's cool, you know, like uh, the people at Bloomsbury are still nice, uh, even though there's been a couple regime changes. Like if, if I'm doing a tour, if like if I'm putting out some book or something, I can always get at them and they, they hype it on their page. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, so you, are you thinking about doing another one of those? Oh, you can only do one. You can only do one. I didn't know that. I immediately pitched, this is how we found out, because I was like, oh, the last Black Flag record is the sickest one. In my head, it's the best Black Flag record. Yeah. 
So I pitched them the entire thing, and they're like, and I spent all this time on it, and then David wrote back, and he was like, yeah, you can only do one of these. And I was like, damn it. What the fuck? You didn't tell me that. I didn't know. <laughs> but I'm writing an essay, for, or I wrote an essay for this uh, collection that comes out in September about like little known or obscure or forgotten albums. So mm-hmm. I did the Rodan record. Yeah. So that's coming out pretty soon. But you think someone will pick that up? Someone will do that record or do a book on that? Uh, I hope so. Why haven't it done? Why hasn't it been done yet? Mm. Fucking done Celine Dion, but they haven't. That Celine Dion book is awesome. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Whatever. Um, so how's teaching been? Teaching's good. Uh, I teach. I at the moment I'm mostly teaching online. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's, obviously that's not how it started, right? How how different is that? Is that where you did you see yourself doing that? I always wanted to work at home. Yeah, yeah. And having the chance to work at home is is pretty great in some ways, but in other ways, like when we moved to the Cape, mm-hmm. um, I was just like waiting for Beck to come home from work. And, and just like latching on you know like I wasn't getting out and after a certain point I figured out that I needed to have a little bit more structure to my day yeah, yeah. but in 2016 like I ran like three times a week I lifted twice a week like I didn't have anything else so I was in really good shape <laughs> and uh, I still wasn't happy you know mm-hmm. I was like watching TV every night you know I watched like Mad Men or whatever it was <laughs> and like I was just like super bummed so I invented some ways to get out. Of the Cape house. can the Cape can bring you down a little bit, I think. Yeah, it's a it's a great place. It is, yeah, especially yeah. in the winter. Jesus, yeah, and then in the summer it's just busy, mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah, we were at the we were at this place last night, and um, a bunch of us in in a row at the bar all happened to be wearing Red Sox hats, and there was this guy, and he's like, "Did you guys all call each other up to wear the same hat?" And I was like, "Dude." <laughs> Where do you think you are? I know, right? <laughs> the fuck? Have you not been paying attention? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, so teaching online is cool. Uh, I teach a hybrid class at Cape Cod Community College, so that's like in the classroom once a week, and then online is the other, you know, the other half of it. Mm. Um, yeah, it's good. You know, it's, uh, it's nice to feel like I'm, like, contributing something. You know, I'm not, like... I'm not putting spindles in boxes all day or something like that. Uh, it's nice to feel like I'm doing something that's positive. Yeah. yeah. How's your students? I mean... Students are good. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I talk about, like, these kids who have these habits Yeah. that I have. Yeah. Like, you know, and it's just like, uh, Like, the people that... I think the people that we, we dislike the most are the ones that remind us of ourselves mm-hmm. the most. And it's like these kids who have all these interjections and yeah. they're like cool dudes when they write. I'm just like, cut it out. Cut the shit. I'm trying to save you 15 years, you know? Like, <laughs> cut it out. Um, so how do you, I mean, how do you find yourself teaching? Like, do you, uh, again, I get, you know, I hate to say it again, but like style. Like, you know, do you take a lot from your, your professors that you had? I mean, how, how did you arrive I guess, I mean, teaching, teaching online and teaching in, in person, I'm mm-hmm. sure, is dr- drastically different. 
Yeah, I mean, stylistically, I could, uh, I could elevate myself by using the discourse, mm -hmm. by speaking in academic. But the, I, in some ways, I'm still blown away by the fact that I get to do this because I was Why? Like, because I was such a bad student. People like, turn it around. Yeah. I mean, I was a bad student across the board. Still am. Never will change. Yeah. You know, that's why I didn't go back. Yeah. I never, like, I never thought that I would do this, as, you know, as a vocation. So the fact that I'm doing it as a vocation now, like, I don't want to put tweed patches on my elbows or anything like that. Oh, man, I can't wait that you show I, I see you next time and you have, like, a jacket with the leather patches and... <laughs> My friend Honor was saying that I should get like black flag bars as the patches and like for for your hoodie, <laughs> yeah, for my, for my elbow patches on yeah. the hoodie. Yeah. Really expensive hoodie. <laughs> so the fact that I get to do it at all like still blows me away. So, um, so what you see is what you get. Like you know, just it's just a couple things that worked out mm -hmm. um, for me that that are separating me from a lot of my students, and I don't need to lord that over them. So. So this is basically it. You know, this is the style yeah. that I use. Uh, so I'm just trying to communicate as directly as I can. I'm trying to give examples. I'm trying to let students know why this is important, mm -hmm. you know, how it connects to their lives, I guess. Uh, which, you know, has different importance depending on what it is. Like I teach a film class. Yeah. Film's not really that. You know, film's awesome, but like in the grand scheme of things, it's like it's it's a joy. Sure. Yeah, for the most part. So for students, it's like <laughs> he said the film wasn't important. <laughs> and this is those same dudes taking themselves too seriously or whatever. No, those no? kids are all cool. Okay. <laughs> yeah, those, those kids are great. Um, they're mostly taking it because they're like, oh, I think this class is easy. And they, <laughs> it's I want them to notice stuff. Yeah. I want them to notice what different like camera angles suggest, mm -hmm. you know, or different methods suggest, or whatever. Um, but you know, with that, the importance is like you can carry these ideas into your own life, you know, your own viewing, your own watching. And when you're watching a show, and like when there's when the whole cast is assembled around a table, like that's the Last Supper. Something's going to change. Yeah, you know, it's it's not it's not like a huge deal. But, you know, if a, if a kid is watching a show and they're like, huh, it's raining. Oh, cool, he's getting baptized right now. Then, you know, like... That's it? That's all they see? Yeah. Oh, there's, cool. There's no, there's no second level at all? Whatever, you know? <laughs> Whatever they can take away from it. Is it the same thing with creative writing or, or anything like that? I've only taught creative writing once. Hmm. I find that interesting. Yeah. Um, I feel like that would be, like, your main... That's a coveted gig. Is it? Yeah. It's, people really? really like to teach that. Why is that? Because, you know, if um, a lot of creative writers go to teaching. And so, you know, it's, it's pretty fiercely competitive. Hmm. Uh, with, like, with composition, you know, you have to run every kid through composition. So there's a lot of composition jobs. With uh, creative stuff, I'm just trying to expose them to as much stuff as they can. I'm trying to create good habits I'm trying to strip away bad habits yeah. things that might potentially be bad habits you know kids like use to be 
you know, the verb to be way too much. And it's like, there's all these verbs. <laughs> like, and you're picking the most basic one. Like, why are you doing that? Just like, oh, I didn't think of it. Like, cool. So that's, that's my job. Is to Start like, thinking about it. Like, hey, look at this. <laughs> why are you using so many adverbs? Do you find it fulfilling? Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah. Uh, when, when I'm teaching creative stuff, um, my own work gets better. Yeah. Because I'm engaged on a bunch of different levels and I'm firing on all cylinders. I'm hearing myself in my head, like hmm. talking to kids in class. I'm realizing something about you. What's something that? I have never thought about. I use and, my hands a lot when I talk. No, no. Uh, <laughs> your whole life is an exercise. Is it? I think so, yeah. I think you're always, you seem like you're always practicing to get better at something, which is, to me, most people are not doing in their lives. Yeah. And I give people who can do that, and, and you seem like you're doing it without even fucking thinking about it. <clears throat> yeah, maybe I am. Yeah. Wow, it's a shocking revelation. Um, yeah, like you know, like you're talking about exercising two years ago. Mm-hmm. And I remember when you when you you actually you did make a conscious decision. I think one time you were like, I'm gonna I'm gonna get this white bench, and I'm gonna start <laughs> yeah. running. I remember you know, I remember talking to you about it, yep. and I was like, All right, dude, whatever you want to do, <laughs> it sounds awful. Um, I was running a little bit before uh, before I moved to the Cape, mm-hmm. and then uh, then we had a basement, and it was like, oh, cool, I could put a weight bench down. The idea of you fucking going out, all right, back, I'm going downstairs to pump iron. <laughs> Don't bother me, you know, you know why. You just fucking go down there. It's just like, Vex totally welcome to bother me, but it's just like <laughs> a man lifting things. Yes, yeah, you know, so while he listens to like. Henry Rollins on a podcast. Uh, <laughs> like, why would you want to watch that? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I guess I guess the idea of like of practice makes sense. You know, like I'm I'm doing some more of that like that mindfulness stuff, uh, and I guess it makes sense that I'm practicing everything. Yeah, it seems that way. I mean, everything that you we've been talking about is just you practicing to get. I mean, just that, just that, that task of write, writing reviews. Like, mm-hmm. how many people would think to do that? Honestly, yeah, that was uh, sounds painstaking. Well, it's alphabetical.blogspot.com. Like, not all of it is like up to snuff. Yeah, you know? and I'm like definitely being contrary for the sake of it. Did you see yourself getting better? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And when I read back some of that stuff, um, it's easy to see progression. Where do you think that comes from? Where do you think? that striving to get better I think most people are not like that uh, I mean most people don't look at themselves critically at all yeah I don't know I mean like I think being an only child it started with like just like a basic need for approval or whatever you uh, think you were under a microscope too a I don't think bit? I was under a microscope no. I, I, my, my parents are awesome and I don't I don't feel like I was like being looked at critically like mm-hmm. that but but I didn't have to fight anybody for attention, mm-hmm. you know. So then, like going out into the world where you do, it's shocking. So needing to get better at something, I think, follows. Hmm. I guess. I mean, yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Do you think you're always going to be striving? Do you think you'll ever reach any any particular goal? Do you ha- do you set yourself goals? The goal right now is to finish this next book. Yeah. And um, and there's like there's steps on the ladder in terms of getting stuff published that I would like to mm-hmm. to reach. 
Yeah. yeah. Like I'm continuing to sort of try and elevate where I get pieces placed. Yeah. And stuff like that. Um, once I do it, once I finish this book, I'm going to write the next one. So how are your publishing pro pro uh, prospects? Like how did... How are, like now in terms of... This, the new one, yeah, the new one that you... Um, I don't know, I'll tell you when I'm done. All right. Like I, uh, you know, this couple in New York City, Peter and Kathy put out, um, put out my two novels on Three Rooms Press. Mm -hmm. and so I'm label mates with Mike Watt, which is a really cool thing. It's neat. It's a really weird thing. Yeah. Uh, you guys are like best buds. Mike's cool. You know, yeah. He's, he's a cool guy, but I, I don't, I don't bother him. He's, you know, <laughs> he's got his network of friends. Yeah. So. Um, How's that doing? Sorry. It's okay. Got to check in on the tacos. Yeah. yeah. When when he comes through town, I'll say hi. Yeah. You know, and I can send him an email a year and be like, hey, how's it going? Uh, so I'm going to give them the novel first. I know I go to conferences. And <coughs> I meet people. Mm -hmm. um, so there's some, some presses that I'm going to send stuff to when it's finished. Yeah. So I think you, my price is right. How are you finding this, this, this one? Is it, do you feel it's different than... The last, like yeah, the this one. Two? This one is uh, so far anyway. Like this one has been easier because hmm. I because I wrote a a bad one where I forced it. Yes, uh, and then got super bummed out when that got uh, when I started passing that around and nobody had anything positive to say because <laughs> because oh, I lost my way. You know, I yeah, totally yeah. lost my way because I was like, I got this figured out. And I think that, I don't think you ever figure it out. No? Yeah. Hmm. You, know? you think that's because each book's different? Yeah, I'm in that's a different place with, with everyone. Yeah. You know? Um, I'm sure there's people who who can sit down and, like, write a, a song in mm -hmm. one try. You yeah, know? I mean, that's a good, that's a, how, how do you relate your music to writing or do, does it relate at all I mean other than just like peripheral like you know scene stuff like you're saying you know like guys at a show that kind of shit or is it you think that one affects the other music is uh, sort of scratches that itch that like book reviews do and essays do for me right now hmm. where like me and my the guys in my band can work on something and then we can present it and it doesn't take three years you know, we can just be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's Instant a, gratification. Almost. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like here's a forty-five second song about Reagan. Like, <laughs> here's twelve of us. You know, and we can we can bang those out. Yeah, and play a show where people can see us. Yeah, that is that is nice. Yeah. Except my band, it takes like three years to write a record. <laughs> those songs are longer than forty-five seconds. <laughs> yeah, but probably not that common. <laughs> comparatively. You know, probably the same. And you get to you get to be in a room with those people. I do. That's that's the nice part. I mean, and that's one thing. Would you? Are you always going to be writing? Like, are you always going to be wanting to write the next novel? I like, think so. Yeah. I think like so. I I do I do this because Cause I like seeing those guys. Yeah. It's fun. I'm like you were talking earlier. Like the money, the scale of money. I'm making zero dollars right. on this, but I only do it because it's fun. You're compelled to do it. Yeah. Yeah. More or less. I'm compelled to do this. Yeah. yeah. Do you think they ever think it will become a chore? 
don't know when I get arthritic, maybe. <laughs> but by then I can just like plug the the computer directly into my brain cell oh, or something. Like I was gonna that. say you have like that. Uh, what's what's his name? Uh, you have the you can just type with your eyes. You just look look at the oh the Steve Hawking the thing. Stephen Hawking thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. No, I think I'm always gonna be doing this. You know, because I was always uh, surrounded by books when I was little. Yeah. My parents both read tons, so there are always books around. So I think that uh, I think I'm always going to do this. You know, there's like there's sort of like lulls after I finish something mm-hmm. uh, where I have to figure out what the next thing is. Sometimes I just sort of meander around trying to figure out what it is. But I've, I've been pretty consistent for like since last February anyway, and before that there was some time off and then it was like three years and there was a couple months off and it was like three years before that so like I'm pretty that's how typically how long it takes for you to I think so yeah, yeah. I mean as, as as typically as this thing goes mm-hmm. like the first draft which I'm working through my writing group I'm like uh, I'm like 70,000 words in right now or something whoa like holy moly yeah which is longer than any of the yeah. anything I've done thus far, and it's two thirds of the way finished. Shit, and that's since last February. So, what's happening this time around? For is it is it? Do you think it's the 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 story? Is it because you say you you have? I guess you have like an idea, but you mm-hmm. don't outline anything. It's, Where is it all coming from? It's super. It's it's personal. I think yeah. which is a silly thing to say because everything's no. Personal. Well, I, I, it is and it isn't. I mean, I've read books that I feel like I'm like, this author has no fucking connection with these characters at all. They're just writing this. Yeah, it's 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 all, uh, a lot of it is growing up in the Boston suburbs, which mm-hmm. was like super traumatic for me. <laughs> really? <laughs> Every neurosis I had came from growing up in the suburbs of Boston. Interesting. Because it was so rough. You know, people were, people were so mean. Boston. Yeah, so I'm like, I'm sort of trying to get get that all out and just move on. Huh. So it's like cathartic. This is a cathartic one for you. It totally is. Interesting. Yeah. yeah so it's it's in the Boston suburbs. Um, plus, there's uh, remember the day after? Did you see that? Uh, the movie. Yeah. 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 So like, you know, I'm like, how old am I? I'm like ten, and like, everybody's getting vaporized on on television. <laughs> You know, during like the height of the Cold War, and yeah. It's just like so that mixed with like where I was like personally, hmm. it was like super, as traumatic as as I've had. So it's all coming from there, and hopefully, like after this, I can just be done with it, and then move on to the next thing. Are you finding that it's therapeutic? Oh yeah, it's great. Good, awesome. Yeah. That's great. I, it sounds interesting. It's gonna be fun. Plus, there's like there's more fake punk bands that are in there. Yeah, is that fun? Making up, like, fake... <laughs> <laughs> it's so much fun. Fake band names. Oh, man, it's great. Yeah, so uh, so in my first book, the fake band was Dead Trend, so I would, like... That's a great name. Thank you. Uh, so I'd have these, like, these fake Dead Trend songs, and then finally it was, like... They one, became real. They became real. <laughs> I started the band, and we, we played that stuff. So this time there's, like... Uh, Rebecca suggested Clinch as a as a band of hardcore kids. That sounds like a like a Blackstone Valley hardcore band if I've yeah. ever heard one. <laughs> so Clinch has a, has a seven inch and like 
their songs get played on the, the radio show. Like mm-hmm. the, the character finds college radio and hears like the, the 72 second long song and is like, oh my God, this is great. <laughs> and there's like the goth band. Um, there's two goth bands actually. Uh, there's Reverberations and there's Calm Report. <laughs> and there's uh, Countermand is like the headlining band. So awesome. It's so much fun to do all that stuff. Yeah, that's so... Uh... That's awesome. Yeah, and all these connections, you know, then I connect them to the existing... Creating your world. It's yeah. crazy. You know, that's... Uh, I mean, that must be most... Sat- one. Of, that would be one of the more satisfying parts for me. Like, it's really fun. Yeah, yeah, it's so much. It's like... I mean, you know, you're just totally just goosing yourself the whole time. Like, this is so much fun. This is all for me. <laughs> There's all these, like, deeply embedded jokes that yeah. he gets. But I get them. I'm like, ah, <laughs> This is wicked funny, and it's not to anybody but me. Word. So uh, one thing, yeah, I think we did touch upon it real quick, but I don't think we ever uh, remember. I said I said I texted you like months ago, and I was like, "What's your process like?" So you're gonna you're going through your first edit now, or you're still this writing? This is the first draft. The first draft. So how many are there going to be? You think? Uh, I don't usually? know. This usually, it's a long one. Yeah, this is this is a long book. Um, this thing. As an example, this this thing just happened where like the character uh, is at the show, mm-hmm. and the show is at the VFW Hall, right? So the VFW Hall, of course, has like all these like animal heads hanging, but then there's all these pictures of uh, of like dudes in shorts holding up beers to the camera. Mm-hmm. There's all these like uh, there's all the official not press photo, but there's the official dress photo of all these dead soldiers who were there. Hmm. So I was writing this and like the kid sees the dead soldier photos and he thinks about his dad who's like driving trucks in Pennsylvania. And he's like, oh, you know, like, then he wonders if his dad like goes to a VFW at some town that he doesn't know in Pennsylvania and is able to get in with them. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh shit, the dad's a veteran. And I didn't realize that. That's neat. But it makes sense. You yeah, know? of course. It totally makes sense. So then, like, as an example, I have to go back and I have to put little little hints in there, mm-hmm. what I've already written, that, that this guy, like, can't handle being with his family and needs to drive a truck. So you just have these epiphanies. Yeah, stuff happens, and then I have to go back and go through and make sure that it's consistent. That's cool. How do you go about doing that? Like, do you... Do you do, you, do all these like little tiny thoughts like pop up in your head? And you're like, oh, I can do this here. I can do this here. It's crazy. Yeah, there's like there's all this recurring imagery in this book. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of Dungeons and Dragons stuff. Word. You know, so like uh, play a few of those in my day. So there's like spells that keep coming up over and over again. <laughs> uh, so there's like you know minor globe of invulnerability comes up a little bit. Like charms. Like this is going to be a fun book. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah it's, it's fun. neat. And like, sounds great. There's there's uh, nuclear imagery because because uh, of the day after. So like, mm-hmm. things and people get vaporized in people's heads, and I just have to go through and make sure that um, all of those like all the imagery and all the symbolism and stuff isn't there too much or not enough. You know, everything's got to be balanced. Yeah. And my writing group is great mm-hmm. um, because. They're like, this wouldn't happen. Or like, I don't know what you're talking about. Or yeah. this is good. So, yeah. Are they so, all in the same kind of position you are? Are they all going through like a similar thing? Or is it, they're all in different places? Everybody's in different places. Um, 
there's there's a mystery writer who's had like four or five books published. Mm -hmm. There's a guy who's self-published his first uh, sci-fi novel. There's a there's a woman who does historical fiction, and there's no like there's no ego, there's no competition because everybody's on their own trip. Mm -hmm. You know, like nobody else is worrying that I'm stepping on their toes by writing like a book about fictional punk bands. The apocalypse and you know negligent parents. Or yeah. <laughs> you know, because like this guy's too worried about like you know mining planets for their resources sure. and teleportation. Mm -hmm. You know, is it pretty common for do you think for writers to to do the, like this kind of thing, collaboratory? You know, I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. it is. Yeah, um, I found them on Craigslist when I was getting burnt out on being by myself every day. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like. I'm gonna let me see if I can find a writing group. And there was one there. And you're not dead. No one killed you. No one killed me. Craigslist. <laughs> yeah, no. Dad. Yeah, come on over. It's in my basement. Yeah, like, oh, it's uh, it's totally not murder me. You should <laughs> yeah. come over. No, yeah. when they said meet us at Panera Bread, I was like, this is probably uh, this okay. is fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be the one with the blueberry scone. Um, is this the first one you've done? Uh, I was in a writing group. In when I lived in Alston, mm. and nobody was as serious as any of us are now. Yeah, um, there were I think four of us, and we tried to keep it going. And just like nobody, we all had ideas, mm -hmm. but we didn't have the the drive to make it work. So everybody's, you know, great group of people. Uh, everybody's really serious about it, so it's totally working out. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, what do you think? Uh, I think it's time to drink. All right. And maybe have some tacos. What do you think? I think tacos! Was, I think it was good. All right. Thanks uh, for the interview. I appreciate it. It was great talking to you. All my things I think are I, I learned a fucking shit ton about you. Awesome. Pro well, uh, stuff see. that you might have, you probably, some of it you probably told me, but we were both drunk. I don't really talk about process too much. No? Because it's like uh, people... Um, People sort of ascribe this like mysticism to the writing process, and it's just like it's not mystical or mm -hmm. mysterious, or it's just like ass in chair, you know, X number of hours a week, and like it gets better, and it's wicked boring. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, and I but I also understand the other side. Um, there does seem to be some kind of magic that happens. Yeah in certain people who can sit down and this world comes out of them I, I find it to be um, and I'm not just willing to smoke up your ass but anybody you know that I, I've read, read like you know speaking of like Chandler old Chandler books I, when I was a kid I loved them just the idea that that he basically started a whole fucking genre more mm -hmm. or less you know it's crazy that this one guy who was a crazy alcoholic and dirtbag I uh, made up this whole world. You yeah, know? totally. It's crazy. Yep. So, I don't know. It, it is, I, I get what you're saying. You, do, you don't want it to, like, become something it's not or just, like, yeah. maybe. No one's like, you know, this isn't Lord of the Rings. There's yeah, no hobbits here. There's no fucking, like, special spice mix that you're putting on the fucking typewriter or whatever. Exactly. Uh, speaking of fucking Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I'm just too stubborn to quit. Isn't that the name of a, a hardcore record? <laughs> This next called Too Stubborn to Quit. Clinch. <laughs> Fucking Blackstone Valley forever. 
Actually, Quince is from Bill Rick. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Fucking North Shore hardcore. Cool. Let's have, let's see some tacos. Sweet. I'm hungry.